So a few years ago, I was dating the love of my life and it was magical until it wasn't. It became really frustrating and confusing and exhausting. And at the same time, I ended up meeting this other girl who was not like the girl that I was dating. And even though I had saved up all this money and I was about to buy a ring for the girl that I was dating, I actually decided to break off that relationship to have a chance at this new relationship. And it was magical. And we got married. And it continued to be magical until it wasn't. I mean, it started off like a fairy tale. When I met the girl that is now my wife of 20 years, she was actually engaged to somebody else, and I was the wedding singer. And I won't tell you the whole story, but we just overcame some obstacles, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, the wedding singer became the groom, and we have been married for two decades. But that first year of marriage, as magical as fairy tales it started, became exhausting and frustrating and confusing. All those same emotions and struggles that I was dealing with in the relationship before I was married and the relationship before the relationship before I was married. And there were times when I thought like, why do I keep, I'm such a sucker. I keep walking into the same discouragement. I keep picking partners that, you know, are gonna frustrate me and exhaust me and annoy me. What is my problem? Today, I want to help save you some of the future disappointment in your romantic life. But before I do that, I wanna answer a question that might be on your mind. And that question is, why is it a church's business what I do with my romantic life? And that's a really good question. On some level, it's none of my business. But the fact is, love changes you. And you change us. So what at one point is none of my business all of a sudden becomes my business when we get to do life together. And maybe we'll never get to meet because right now we're just interacting through a screen, but just consider me sort of a stand-in for the people that you will interact with in your future. Maybe I'm a stand-in for your team at work or the other students on campus. Maybe I'm a stand-in for your future spouse or your current spouse. Just consider me a stand-in for your kids, for the people that you will meet you have incredible potential to influence them. And let's all agree that love has incredible influence on us. So our romantic lives shape so much of who we become. And then you enter the room and you affect the people around you. So it might be none of my business right now, but pretty soon your business and my business becomes each other's business. So I think it's worth talking about. Today, what I wanna talk about is what you do while you are waiting and looking for the perfect person the person that might give you fewer disappointments and less frustration. What do you do while you're waiting for the person that you're with to become more like the perfect person? What do you do while you're waiting? Because as the series is focusing on, romantic relationships can be really, really complicated. So is there a way that we can reduce some of that complication? Can we reduce some of the unnecessary confusion that we might encounter in these relationships? Because they're already gonna be difficult to navigate anyway. And if you can believe it, the ideas that we're gonna talk about through this series are gonna make you happier. They have the potential of giving you a better love life, even a better sex life. They're gonna give you better joy and better marriages, either the one that you're currently in or one that you may be a part of in the future. But all of that is going to begin by expecting God to give you more than you could get without him. Expecting God to give you more if you will just trust him which is what Sean covered in the first installment of the series last week, which if you haven't heard that yet, please go and check that out for free on our website or on the podcast. 
Now, I know that expecting God to give you something if you trust this part of your life to him is maybe the furthest thing from some of your minds right now. You're not even sure that there is a God. And if there is a God, you're not sure that he, she, it, or they cares about you at all. And there's some of you who used to believe that there was a God who wanted the best for you, but you've kind of given up hope. And today, I just want to give you permission to hope again that something great is possible, even in your complicated romantic life if you would just trust God with this. And to give you a sense of what you can do while you're waiting for your romantic life to improve or maybe just to get started, I wanna give you some lyrics of an ancient song. Psalm 37 is a song that was written really celebrating what you can do while you're waiting. How do you nurture hope? And how do you make great choices? And those are things that I think can be applied to our romantic lives. Here's the first couple lyrics, the first couple lines of this song in Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And it seems like an odd place to start to talk about your romantic life. But what the song is really saying is, listen, I know it's easy to look in on the lives of other people that at least as far as you can tell are doing all the wrong things and are getting some of the things you wish you had. And it doesn't seem fair. So maybe why should you keep trying to do the right things and keep your standards high when the people who aren't doing those same things seem to be getting more of what you really, really want? It's saying, don't worry about them. Don't worry about comparing yourself to other people. Even though you seem to be doing the right thing and you haven't had a second date in months or you haven't had the kind of marriage that you want for a long time, do not settle. Do not lower your standards no matter what. If you're waiting for the perfect person, do not settle for someone who will just do for now. I mean, how super romantic is that? Like, oh, why are you dating him? Like, well, he'll kind of do for now. No, don't settle. Don't settle for the old ball and chain. Like, I suppose we're just not going to have that kind of marriage that other people have. Don't settle for that. Do not settle no matter what. But before you think what I'm talking about or what the song is celebrating is You have to keep your standards so high that only certain people could qualify for them. Now, this song is actually empowering us to do something while we're waiting for our romantic lives to improve. Here's what it goes on to sing in the next few lyrics. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, And he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. In other words, what this is saying is, if you would trust God with your behavior, if you will trust God with your perspective, if you will trust God with what you make a priority in your life, he is going to give you a story that you're going to be proud of. That's what this is saying. And then it goes on to say in the next few lines of the song, be still, even while you're waiting for this to work out. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Don't keep comparing yourself to what other people seem to have that you don't. Don't don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Now, of course, this is talking about people who seem to be getting good things, even though they're doing bad things. But it's just reminding us that by looking sideways at what other people seem to have and what we don't have is not helping us in the waiting. Even though you wouldn't want the lives that they have if you really were able to peek in on them, this is helping us avoid that temptation to distort or to diminish what we want in our lives just to try and get more of what we think we need or we think we want while we're waiting. Wait 
patiently, it says, trusting God with your future, committing your ways, committing your priorities, committing your vision for the future to God. Now, that seems like a really boring vision and one that's not, we're not accustomed to in the day and age that we live in now. Waiting has never been weirder. We live in an on-demand world. Everything that we want is at the touch of a button or swiping right. Amazon same-day delivery. We get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. But quite honestly, there is no app, there is no on-demand way to have the deep, meaningful romance that we most long for, all of us. Now, if you're single today, what I want to encourage you with is you are single by choice. You are single because you've decided not to settle for something that's on-demand. You are single because you have some standards. You could get married today, I promise you. You could get married today if you don't have any criteria, if you don't have any guidelines, if you forget any moral criteria you have, or if you reduce your faith standards. There are tons of people who would fit the bill and you could get married today. But the fact is, you do have some standards and they might not be the same standards as other people or the same standards you used to have, but you do have some standards. And that's why right now you're still wanting, longing for someone who's not in your life right now. I remember years ago, I even wrote out standards. There was a, a preacher that I was listening to when I was in college, and he said, you know what you need to do is you need to write out 31 qualifications that you're looking for in a future spouse. And the reason he came up with 31 is because there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so arbitrarily, he said, you need to come up with 31 qualifications. And we sat there in this assembly in college, and I wrote out 31 ways to describe my perfect future spouse. I'm so glad that I don't have that list anymore because I'm pretty sure that the person who I have now who is perfect for me in so many ways wouldn't have satisfied those 31 criteria. But that's what I was going from. You might have had a journal entry or you, you know, maybe you just had a babysitter when you were a little kid and you thought like, oh, that's going to be my dream mate when I grow up. Or maybe it was some celebrity that you looked at and you just thought, man, hopefully I meet someone like him or someone like her. You wanted somebody intelligent. You wanted somebody adventurous. You wanted somebody with a handlebar mustache. Like, I don't know what it was. Maybe you had 77 things. Maybe you had one thing. Maybe you wrote them out. Maybe they were just in your imagination. And you were just waiting for that person to show up in your life. So you had standards. You always have. And you still do. But have you ever noticed that the longer that you just seem to wait passively, the less you believe that great things are in store for you. The less you believe that there's somebody who is going to uh, be that kind of a partner that's going to give you that kind of romantic life that you want. And you just keep settling for disappointment and discouragement and exhaustion and annoying relationships. And sometimes the waiting for us while we have these standards just feels a whole lot like, all right, I'm sitting at this bus stop and I'm waiting for somebody to be dropped off who finally is that absolute perfect fit for me, who is Miss Wright or Mr. Wright. Anytime, God. I'm doing all the right things. I'm waiting. I haven't met him yet. What I want to illuminate for us is that that is not great waiting because great waiting is not passive. Great waiting is full of action. Notice that in the song, it says, while you're waiting on the Lord, it says, commit your ways. In other words, commit your actions to God. Live for a purpose while you're waiting. Another way to say this is behave now with God's future in mind. Like if God really wants the best for you, even if you can't see what that looks like clearly right now, 
Live as though God has your best in mind. If you're looking forward to a life full of purpose and full of love and full of generosity, if you're looking forward to that in your romantic life, then sow that into your life now. You could just sit around and you could wait for the right person to drop out of the sky or you could commit to this. You could commit to becoming the person who doesn't need the perfect person. You could just passively wait around hoping that somehow the planets align and you'll see somebody across a crowded room and love at first sight. Or you could focus on becoming the person who doesn't need the perfect person. You know, for a long time, I fell into the trap of thinking that what my love life was missing was someone to complete me. That was part of what I filled out in the 31 descriptors of my future spouse, my future perfect mate, were 31 things that I thought I needed in my life. I needed somebody to be for me what I felt like I needed most, or I felt like I lacked in my life. And sure, you're going to come across friendships and romantic partners, leaders in your life who complement you, who have skills and personality traits that are different than yours. But if you're longing for someone to complete you, what's going to happen, and I certainly did this a lot, is you're going to place the burden on some unfortunate girl or some unfortunate guy to be your purpose or to be your identity or to to be your trophy or to be your happiness. And the longing, the deep longing of your soul is too great a burden for any human to carry. God does desire, maybe you've heard this, for two to become one. So how does that happen? Well, most of us think that happens in a very odd, incomplete way because we forgot basic math. How would two become one? One plus one does not equal one. A fraction of one and a fraction of another together might become one. But God isn't trying to take two incomplete lives who don't have purpose, don't have identity, don't have a mission, apart from each other and bring them together so they can finally feel whole. That's not what it is. Great relationships are when one is multiplied by one, is when two whole people who already know that they are perfectly loved just as they are without needing to be more, meet each other and multiply each other's sense of confidence, multiply the joy that they can experience, multiply the impact that they can have in the world around them. God wants to create for you right now as you sit here in whatever status you have in your romantic life, he wants to create in you an abundant life, an overflowing life. He wants you to know that before you move another muscle or do another right thing, you are already loved to death. Jesus proved it. And what what does this empower you to do? It empowers you to love other people without strings attached. Unconditional love means that a love that does not wait for the perfect conditions to be satisfied to give love. That's how God has loved you in Jesus. And that's how God wants to empower you to love everyone in your life. To say, I've already been loved enough. I already know what I'm worth. I already know why I'm on the planet. And so I can love you without needing anything from you. You know, I've finally had to come to terms with this in my own life. And over the last couple of years, I have really had to face how often I have used people. How all of my friendships and my love and my sacrifice for for everyone was laced with just a little bit of need. Because I was using the people around me to fill a void that I was feeling in my life. I was using the people around me to give me a sense of happiness and purpose and identity. 
and that was too great a burden for any person to bear. So the more that I've started to understand that I'm already loved before I've satisfied the perfect conditions, the more free I am to love people before they've satisfied the perfect conditions, the more I've become the kind of person the person I'm looking for is looking for. Maturing and shaping and growing happens in the waiting. While you're waiting for the perfect person to come into your life or you think you were waiting for your spouse to become more like the perfect person, God is giving you and me an opportunity to be shaped into the person that we were meant to be. While we're waiting for the perfect person in our life, maybe what God is giving us a chance to do is become more of what the person we're looking for would ultimately be looking for. Maybe it becomes a mirror for our own lives to examine how we can become more confident, we can become more honest, we could have greater integrity, we could love people with greater freedom. So while you're waiting, whether you're waiting for your next romantic relationship, you're waiting for Mr. Right or Miss Right to come along, or you're waiting for your spouse to become more like the perfect person, what can you do while you're waiting? I want you to buckle up. Uh, be prepared to write some things down if they stand out to you because I'm going to get really hyper-practical right now. I want to give you several ways that you can be waiting well. Or if you're not, if you're single right now, these are also ways that you could be dating well. And a heads up, even though you may not know me at all, I'm going to say some things that might make you hate me or be frustrated with me, and that's totally okay. And you don't have to take my word for it, but I promise you, if you apply what makes you angry right now, if you apply this, but one year from now or years from now in your marriage, I promise you, I would bet my left arm for this, you will thank me and you will name your kid after me or at least your dog or something. So here's some suggestions, rapid fire to wait better or maybe even date better. Number one, deal with your unresolved past. Now, I, for those of you who are with somebody right now, I, wanna, I want you to resist the urge to nudge them too strongly, too hard as I say that but you have an opportunity to deal with your unresolved past. If you haven't clearly identified and addressed issues, um, bruises that you got, maybe challenges that you faced in your family of origin, mommy and daddy stuff, you are automatically going to demand that your spouse or your kids make up for it. You, you can't help it. I can't help it. Uh, just a, a little bit ago, I was in this intensive workshop uh, all designed to help you know yourself better than ever so that you can serve people and lead people in really healthy ways. I actually paid for this, even though it was like surgery without anesthesia. It was crazy. But one of the exercises during this intensive was to have complete strangers walk up to you, look you dead in the eye in front of a room full of people. There's about 50 people there and say something like, you strike me as blank, fill in the blank. And so people would walk up stand at the front of the room, a complete stranger would walk up, look him dead in the eye and say, you strike me as ambitious or you strike me as patient. And this is just first impression stuff. We don't know anything about this person. It could be our own junk and the lens that we're looking through to you know, experience this person. But anyways, an interesting exercise. And I got up to the front, it's my turn. I got in front of 50 people and a complete stranger walks up, looks me dead in the eye. And what I expected to hear was what I've heard before. Uh, you strike me as hardworking or you strike me as outgoing or something like that. And this guy looks me dead in the eye and he says, you strike me as angry. I said, you stupid, I didn't say that. I had never heard that before in my life. Uh, I am not 
I don't think, the kind of person who lashes out like that. But I didn't want to dismiss it out of hand. Sure, it could have been his own stuff, right, in the lens that he's looking through to experience me, but I wanted to sit with it, and I prayed about it. And I asked some friends around me about this, asked my wife about this. And lo and behold, what emerged was something I had not paid attention to, at least not in depth before. I am angry. And what I started to realize, and this is really fresh for me, so there's a lot more that I can learn about this. I I suffered a fairly big betrayal in a friendship years and years ago, and it left a mark. But at the time, I was convinced that good Christian boys don't get angry. We just forgive and we forget. We let go and we let God, uh, which, by the way, is nowhere in the scriptures. But I got the impression that that's what I needed to do. I just needed to mute how betrayed I felt and how angry I was. And what I'm starting to identify is even in a way that I, I wasn't doing this intentionally, but because of unresolved anger and a sense of betrayal years ago that was really significant in my story, I started to expect less from people in my life. I, I started to be, I was a little bit guarded. I would withhold just a little bit of transparency. I was in so many ways preparing myself for future betrayals for the people who I loved the most. And I was starving them of a piece of myself and a piece of my story and my full presence in that life and the love that I could be giving them because I had unresolved anger. So I was bringing obstacles into every relationship in my future. I'll I'll be more specific for some of you right now. You might be watching and you are, you know, you're dealing with an addiction in your life and not very many people know about it. And you're fairly convinced that it's not going to affect your relational life. I guarantee you it will. Maybe right now you are using porn a lot. Men, a growing number of women are using this as as an outlet, as an escape for themselves. And what's happening in your romantic lives is you're hoping secretly that you will meet somebody who finally obliterates the competition that you're seeing on a screen. But the truth is, it's never going to be between Miss Wright and some girl. It's not between Mr. Wright and some guy that you're seeing online. It's between Miss Wright and an endless number of possibilities of people in a universe you can control. And no one is going to be able to save you from that. There is hope for you. I was one of those men for a long, long time, but I didn't heal because my wife finally, you know, obliterated the competition that I was seeing on a screen. I healed because in my waiting for my romantic life to heal, I confronted this and I sought help from my church and from a therapist. And I've been sober for 18 years from this. There is hope, but I had to deal with my unresolved past and at that point, my unresolved presence. That's something you can do as you're waiting well. Another thing you can do as you're waiting well and maybe even dating well is to get some more eyes on your love life. Whether you're married or not, get wisdom, seek it out. Find one, two, four people who have the kind of love life that you long to have one day and ask them to pay attention to the choices you're making, to the way that you're behaving, to the priorities that you're living with. And by the way, if you're afraid to do that, that would give me some caution as to how confident you are in the way that you're conducting yourself in your romantic life. Get more people who want God's best for you to pay attention, ask them questions, let them speak into this and open up your ears and your heart and your mind to listen to what they have to say. God wants to add 
to your perspective and give you so much more to go on as you as you chart a course in your romantic future. Another dating tip or another waiting tip, and this is particularly for those of you who are currently single or you might be in a dating relationship, I cannot I cannot urge you more strongly, postpone the physical. Or if you're hyper-physical, take a break from the physical. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm talking about all kinds of sexual intimacy right now. I have never, in all of my years of counseling couples, I have never heard anybody say, man, my relationship is really, really struggling right now. I sure wish we would have gotten physical sooner. That would have solved it all. No, I've never heard that. But here's what I have heard a whole lot of. Man, I am so glad that we held off. I'm so glad that I committed my dating life to the Lord and I trusted that that kind of intimacy is to be reserved for a lifelong covenant with somebody where it's really safe and really free. I'm so glad that I waited. One of the greatest gifts that God gave Katie and myself my, my wife and me, in our relationship early on was time apart. The day after we started dating, she moved home. I met her in Los Angeles, where we're from. She moved home to Michigan. And the first three months of our dating relationship was just over a phone. All we had was each other's voices. And we got to know each other every single day on the phone, sometimes for hours at a time, asking each other questions, hearing each other's stories. So before the physical fools you into thinking that you know somebody, get to know somebody. Let somebody get to know you. And getting physical too early, it's not just a Bible thing or a church thing or a Christian thing. We know this, and you know this to be true. Getting physical too early always short circuits getting to know somebody intimately. And that's why people who have intensely physical dating relationships quickly have, and they remove all the physical surprises that they could have in the future of their relationship, are always stunned with the surprises they encounter down the road. And it's never the good kind. It's never like, man, we have been sleeping together for months and I never knew you could juggle. That's amazing. No, it's never that. You know, it's always like, we've been getting busy for months. I had no idea that you had anger issues. Man, we have been sexually intimate forever. I had no idea that you were deep in debt. I had no idea that you were so vindictive. I had no idea that you were so insecure. Yeah, the reason that neither of you knew this about each other is because none of that was necessary to get you in bed. So I cannot urge you more strongly for the sake of your future romantic life, postpone or take a break from the physical. And I have another dating tip, especially for those of you who aren't Jesus followers, you're not sure what you think about Jesus or faith. Do not date a Jesus follower unless you're planning to become one. Don't date a Jesus follower unless you're planning to become a Christian. And they're going to hate me for telling you this if you're currently dating a Christian, but ultimately this is a bait and switch that you are a part of. And the proof is, is they probably were the ones that told you to watch this today. This relationship that you're in right now is going to have one of two outcomes. Either you're going to become a follower of Jesus, which is probably what your follower of Jesus uh, boyfriend or girlfriend wants, or they are going to continue, continue to reduce their convictions and their faith to accommodate you. And ultimately, you do not want somebody who's living without passion and conviction. Another dating tip is I strongly urge you, if you haven't already chosen to do this, to immerse yourself in a local church. Even if you're not sure you believe what's being talked about, it's a great place for you to ask the questions that are nagging you the most and to serve alongside other people who are trying to provide nobility and beauty into the world. And that's an incredible environment in which to find other people 
who are trying to get really honest and ask big questions and live on purpose and provide more love and beauty and nobility in the world. What a great chance to meet the kind of person and become the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. So I could go on. I could give you more steps. I hope this has been helpful. But I want you to decide now what is the next step for you. What does it mean for you to wait well in this season of your life? Most dating disasters and and marriage disasters stem from people who just could not wait well. They took this season of waiting and they squandered it because they just sat at the bus stop hoping the right person would show up or they sat around not feeling empowered, waiting for their spouse to become the right person rather than sowing into their lives and sowing into the world around them more of what they want to reap in their romantic lives. Some of us might think that the best thing that could have happened to our parents growing up was for them to get a divorce because it was never perfect. Some of you think that the best thing that happened in your parents' relationship was when they got a divorce. The best thing that could have happened in your family while you were growing up is your parents dealing with whatever it was that led them to the divorce. You have a chance to do that now. Whatever your relationship status is, deal with your stuff. For singles, deal with this now. People with no kids, deal with this now. What an incredible gift for you to be able to say like, I addressed all of this stuff before you had to live with it, before I gave you this burden. And I should say, if you are a follower of Jesus listening to me today, you cannot shirk your responsibility because ultimately you are not accountable to your mama or to your daddy or to your spouse or to your family or to your boss. You have a responsibility to them for sure. But ultimately you and I both know we are accountable to our heavenly father who wants the best for us. And he's given us an environment of exceeding grace, which means there is no condemnation. There is no mess that you can uncover that means that you will be loved less We could become the most self-aware, empowered people alive because Jesus has given us an opportunity to do this. We can clean up our own messes. He's empowered us to do it. And how do we know that? It's because Jesus took the blame for us. He took the blame that we wanted to avoid. He took ownership of it at first. He, He suffered the consequences that we all deserved to suffer. So we have no reason to hide anymore. We can admit that we need help. We can admit that we can't figure this all out on our own. We can admit that we need to be more free. We can admit that we need to learn how to love. So we have no reason at all not to deal with our own stuff before we bring that into the lives of others. God wants to give you the fortitude to make an I do for keeps. Because not only will you have chosen somebody who's worth your future, more importantly, you will have become somebody worth theirs. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that there is a context, there's a time like this where we can come with all of our hurts and our hopes and our dreams and our bruises and our questions, and we know that none of that's off limits. We know that when we consider big ideas like this, and we consider trusting you with our future, you are present in that and you're paying attention and you love us. Thank you so much that there are times like this where we can be challenged and we can be nudged and we can be honest. God, thank you that you are honest with us because you love us. You've put something in our hearts that longs for something more. 
And while we're waiting, it's so tempting for us to blame others and to wait for other people to fix us or to complete us. But God, you're giving us a longing ultimately for you. God, I know there are people listening to me right now who have been hurt and they have been wronged and it is not fair. The things that have happened to them in their romantic past or in their family past, their relational past, it's not their fault. But God, as we stand here today, the good news is it now has become their responsibility. What's happened to them in the past does not have to tell them the whole story of what's happening in the future. God, it, it is an opportunity for us to grow and to heal and to be an example of what you can do with any story. Because through the eyes of grace, every defeat and every bruise and every disappointment and every breakup really looks like a victory waiting to happen. But God, we have got to get to a place where we take ownership. We're not waiting for somebody else to get it right or to be perfect. God, we want to become the kind of person who doesn't need the perfect person to love well. So give us the courage to do that today. Remind us today that your love is the only place that truly gives us the freedom to take that kind of ownership. And we don't have to be overcome with guilt and with shame. But God, you've given us a chance to begin to experience the kind of healing that we all so desperately need. God, in your power and in your grace and in your love, I pray this in your name. Amen.